If you would please turn your Bibles to First uh, Corinthians 15. Two things I do want to bring to your attention. One is that we will be meeting tonight. Um, people have asked me about it. Uh, we will begin a series called Evangelism According to Jesus. Uh, it's based on a conference that was in Florida in March um, by Legionnaire Ministries. R.C. Sproul, uh, Steve Lawson, um, Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, Dr. MacArthur, and I don't, I don't remember if R.C. Jr. is there or not, um, but uh, I believe there's a desperate need for evangelism according to Jesus. I don't believe that we need to be pursuing. Uh, I spoke last night at uh, Cowboy Camp on liver quivers. Um, And then, I have this right here. What a cool picture, huh? That's Karen Salentine. I don't know who that guy is. What are you doing with that man, Karen? They will be on August the 20th, or August the 23rd, it's a Saturday, from 7 to 11 p.m., Celebrating 50 years, all at one time. Um, I spoke with Jerry this week, and he says I'm pretty sure it was 60. <laughs> um, there are directions. It's in Levere's. Uh, there are directions, and you do need the RSVP to Karen uh, that if you're going to be there. Um, it's a buffet and dancing attire is dress leisure. And beverages. So, uh, 50 years at one time, one person. So, um, we'll put this out on the bulletin board, but I'll keep bringing this to your attention uh, August the 23rd. Uh, it's a Saturday from 7 to 11. I would encourage you to. Uh, that is a cool picture. But that one there looks familiar. Uh, anyway. <laughs> All right, where are we? Oh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 15, (laughs) verses 12 through 19 is where we are in our study of this letter, Uh, and today we will kind of drop right in the center of verse 12, uh, and um, we'll see what happens. Let's read the word of the Lord and ask him to teach us. Now, if Christ is preached that he was raised from the dead, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. And your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Because we testify against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Father, help us to hear. 
Help us to understand. Father, the urgency of the day on understanding the resurrection. Father, who would have dreamed that 2,000 years later, even today, we are plagued by a lack of understanding, a lack of grasp of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what does it mean? Father, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to seize. Open our hearts wide to this amazing truth, to the wonder of wonders. Father, let us embrace it with confidence and clarity. Let us drink deep. Word of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Your glory and praise. Amen. We have a theme that is going on in chapter 15, and it is dealing with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The single greatest issue that affected the uh, Corinthian church was not a doctrinal issue. It was the issue that the society was having a greater influence on the church than the church was having on the society. You and I struggle with this, every one of us. There are things that we were raised, there are things that we went through in our lives, there are things that we have done, and, and, and reasoning and philosophies that we've been exposed to, um, cause and effects that we have practiced in our lives, and we bring that into our life with Christ, and sometimes they will run head on into the holiness of God, the power of God, the authority of God, and the purposes of God. And then the war is on, and we struggle. Paul is reminding the Corinthians, dead men do and shall rise from the dead. And I mean, we sit here today and we say it's a foundational truth of Christianity. Okay, well, let me ask you a question. Is it? I know it's a foundational truth of Christianity, but I would ask you this question. Is it a foundational truth of you? Be real careful how you answer that question. Because your life may announce and pronounce a different mentality, a different focus, a different view. We all sit here today and we say we believe in the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and our hope is in that. And I would ask you this simple question. Does your life validate that? Because if your life doesn't validate that, then your faith is in vain. It is worthless. It is useless. It is empty. It is not committed. Well, I believe that. Really, then, do you worry? How can you worry if you believe in a literal resurrection? Why would you be concerned about medical tests? Why would you be concerned about job loss or job gain or how much you make or how much you don't make or your house payment or your car or this or that or the other? Why would those things bother you if there is a literal bodily resurrection from the dead? The world promises you a lot of things. Never that. Never that. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at here. We need to pay attention to this. This church is in turmoil. 
They do not have a doctrinal problem. He's already made that clear. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel I preach to you. You received it. You stand in it. And you are saved by it. If you hold fast to the word of truth, which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Unless you believed in vain. And Paul is bringing to this to bear on us because he wants you and I to understand this isn't an add-on to Christianity. This isn't something new that we just came up with. If you go to the oldest book of Scripture, the oldest book of Scripture, the book of Job, chapter 19, here's what Job says. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Hmm. Even though the body's going to rot in a grave in my flesh, I'm still going to see God. Oldest book of Scripture. Job believed in. The resurrection. And you know what? He had no idea how it was going to work. But you know what? I stand before you today. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know. I've seen people die. I have never seen anybody get out of the grave. But I have been to Christ's grave and he's not home. There is no body. And if we had a body, don't think that we wouldn't be parading it around somewhere or have a monument or something. He ain't there. Jesus promises in a bodily resurrection. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 28, it says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Chapter 6, verse 44, he says, No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. All right, please understand, all of those texts are dealing with a physical bodily resurrection. You see it in the preaching of the apostles. The apostles chapter, or in the book of Acts chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, John and Peter are preaching Christ they, they get arrested, they're in the temple. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the guard and the Sadducees came to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They got in trouble for preaching the resurrection from the dead. Funny, isn't it? 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul preaching. 
chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. 1 Thessalonians said that the dead in Christ would come out of the grave and be united with Christ, and those who remain would join them in the air. Chapter 3, the letter to the Philippians, verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await the Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glories by the exertion of the power that He has given to subject all things to Himself. John 14, He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Then I will come and receive you to myself. John chapter 17, in his high priestly prayer, he prays that we would be with him in the presence of the Father. Okay? I have the words of the Old Testament. It says that there will be a resurrection. I have the words of Jesus. It says there will be a resurrection. I have the words of the apostles who says there will be a resurrection. I have the words of Paul who says there will be a resurrection, a bodily, physical resurrection. It's not an allegory. It's not an analogy. It's not a system. It's not a myth. It is legitimate. It is true. It is physical, and it will be seen. The truth, the fact, there is a bodily resurrection to be with the Lord. That's basics to our faith if you really think about it. I mean, we are the only faith that speaks of this. The Muslims don't. Buddhists don't. The spiritualists don't. No religion on the planet Earth speaks of a bodily resurrection. And what was happening in the church in Corinth is they believed that the body was evil, that the spirit was good, you had a spark of deity in you, and when you died, the body went into the ground and rotted, and the spirit would take off and be with God forever, and it was a spiritual immortality, not a physical immortality. Well, can you really be sure that he's speaking of a bodily resurrection? Because, you know, Paul says, absent from the body present with the Lord. So that's some kind of spiritual thing, isn't it? Okay. Thought you'd never ask. Revelations chapter 20. Revelations chapter 20, verse 12. Verse 12. And I saw the dead. Then here's a fascinating note that you really need to pay attention to. The great and the small standing before the throne. The books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. You know what's fascinating about that? We always talk, there's that book. What if he erases it? You know what fascinates me about that verse more than there's books being open? That in heaven... 
in the presence of the eternal God in our bodily, there is a distinction of ourselves. Our personalities and who we are will be distinct to the individual who is there. Because you will have the great and the small. Here on on this life, we have people who have great stature and we have people who are average or small. And we make distinctions in them, do we not? In heaven, it will be the same. In heaven, it will be the same. There's a difference in the people. I remember a professor one time said that when we get to heaven, we're all going to be 33-year-old males because we'll all be like Christ. And I'm like, yeah. You really want to go to that place? I don't think so. Much of 33-year-olds who think they know everything. Yeah. And probably willing to share it with you. You know, I used to have a slanted view of heaven. You play golf. You shoot at 18. Where the heck is the fun in that? No, wait. I've played golf. That would be fun <laughs> to shoot an 18. Anyway. There's still a difference in people. There will be a difference in ourselves, Revelations tells us. We will maintain our personalities. Our personhood. It's just like we are here in, in life. We'll be ourselves in a real way, bodily, except for one small difference. No ability to sin. I guess that's not really a small difference, is it? That's a huge difference. And yet, in spite of this, what I've just given you, the Corinthians had come to the point that some were denying the resurrection. And what was amazing about it is they were getting ears to hear. But you know what? I hear it today in the church. You know what is scarier than that? I see people who live. And their lives say they don't believe in a bodily resurrection. I had a guy tell me one time, I hope Jesus doesn't come back because I haven't been to the Caribbean. What? Then he can come back after I go to the Caribbean. Tell him. I'm, I'm sure he'll wait. I, do you understand? But you know what you're saying, don't you? There are things in this world that are more important than a bodily resurrection. Really? Get diagnosed with a terminal illness and tell me what all of a sudden becomes more important. It's really strange. When death walks up and kind of touches your nose, it's amazing the clarity that you all of a sudden have and what is important. What is important? And we heard death this week and everybody's stunned about it. Um, the guy who does Meet the Press... Working on a show, fell over dead. You know what's amazing about it? Six days earlier, he did a stress test and passed it with flying colors. Okay, took a cruise, went over to Europe to do an interview with President Bush, came back, was getting ready to do Mr. Press, fell over dead. 58. Young. Trust me, I'm 51. 58 young. I know it is. That's, that's just a kid. It's funny how that changes, isn't it? 
Why? Because you know what? We all sit here and we plan as if we have what? And you don't. So what does your life tell the people? People in your life, in your sphere of influence that you associate with, friends, neighbors, loved ones, what does your life say? Do you believe in a resurrection? We all say, yes, we do. Then let me ask you a question. If you're so sure of that, then why was this letter written? This is the first letter that we have, the first uh, information, detailed information on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's very detailed if you're truly honest with it. And yet here's what's amazing about this. This is a church. He's writing to a church. But he's writing to a church that looks more like the world than it does the kingdom of God. What had happened to this church is the same thing that is killing the church in America today. And I use the word specifically. It is killing the church in America they had bought the philosophy of the society. They had bought the philosophy of the society. And on that society of the Greek culture, that the, more was, the, the soul was immortal and that immortality was always a spiritual thing. And in verses 12 right there is kind of where I wanted to land. If Christ is preached, he's coming out of verse 11. We preach, meaning that I preach and we preach. Who's that? Everyone who is preaching in the church. Preaching the resurrection, whether it is the apostles, whether it is I, whether it's part of the 500 who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whether it was James. We are all preaching because it was written in the scriptures that Messiah would be resurrected. And the statement is of the critics here. Now, if we if Christ is preached and that he was raised from the dead, then he makes this statement. How do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Listen, he's not trying to convince people. He's definitely not trying to convince Christians that there's a resurrection. You can't be a Christian if you're not convinced of the bodily resurrection. He said, remember our gospel? How can you say dead men don't rise again? That is purely a statement of the Greek philosophy. Now then, let me give you how the philosophy has affected the church today. How do you grow the church? And what is your qualification or your standards of success in growth of the church? The philosophy that the church is on right now is man-made. Okay, everything I see, everything I've heard, everything I watch, everything I bear witness to is man-made. I mean, I, I, I just don't understand it. We say we believe the Bible, and yet we are using man-made marketing tools to grow the church. I was also convinced that someplace I read, I will build my church, and the abode of the dead, the gates of Hades, can't stop it. So where is it that says that the pastor or the church, that the church leadership is even supposed to grow the church I don't see that anywhere I thought that was his responsibility it's an interesting thought interesting thought 
what you have here is a church that is literally parroting the philosophy of lost people. What do I see today? Church wants to really draw a crowd. They need to get a professional football team. They'll draw a crowd. I mean, let's be realistic. Is there any church that you know of that can put 76,000 people every Sunday for three hours? I don't know a church that can do that. Okay, not only 76,000 people, they've got a five-year waiting list for people who want to come. And yet we call that success. And as soon as you do that, you say Jesus was a failure. If numbers is successful, Jesus didn't get it done. I mean, and he was doing some strange stuff, walking on the water and feeding 5,000 and 4,000 and raising the dead and all kind of stuff. And when it got hot, what happened? They walked away from him. Remember our gospel. Remember what he says in verses um, 1 and 2. I preach this to you. You receive this and you stand in this if you hold fast to this. I delivered to you of first importance. What I received, that Christ died according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, He was buried and raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He's already given us the first 11 verses and says, listen, you have to look at this. This is important. And if you don't believe that Christ was raised from the dead in a bodily resurrection, it's an impossible view for you to have. You cannot be a church and have that view because you are already believing you are already believing a bodily resurrection already accepted it you've already received it you already believe it you already stand in it you're already being saved by it if Christ being preached and part of Christ being preached the good news is he bodily raised from the dead and basically Paul's saying how could someone say there's no such thing as a bodily resurrection. And you know what? Some of us today, our lives say there is no bodily resurrection. What we do, how we carry ourselves, our concerns in this life say there is no bodily resurrection. And he's saying, listen, if you are saved, if you are a church, which Corinth is. And Corinth was a nasty place. I do not, I understand that. But he says, you already believe it. You've already committed to it. You've already been saved by that confidence and that faith. Belief. See, Paul, here's Paul under the control and the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's establishing a common ground. And and they both believe this. Paul and the Corinthian church both believe this. And because they already believe this, he can build on the argument against the error. And that's what he's doing. Okay, that's what we're going to be looking at in verses 13 through 19. There's theological consequences to a non-body physical resurrection. But there's also personal consequences. The thrust of chapter 15 is actually verse 12. Because the first 11 verses, he says, how can you be a church 
Not only how can you be a church, let me show you the witnesses. Let me show you the evidence of a bodily resurrection. And it's funny because in verse 11, he says, whether it is I or they being the apostles, so we preach. And so you believed. I mean, I believe in a bodily resurrection because I run into him on the Damascus road. The apostles believe in a bodily resurrection because he showed up to them in the upper room. Okay. And you have to believe in a bodily resurrection because you believed and it's please understand I, I watch people struggle with the Corinthian church the Corinthian church is a church did they have problems uh-huh uh-huh they have serious problems yeah uh-huh but you know what I don't know a church in the realm of Satan's influence that doesn't have serious problems look who your adversary is I don't want to fight Satan. He is good at what he does. To be put in his realm where we are. You've got serious problems. But it's cool because God says, well, I just want you to be dependent on me. Well, I'm fighting Satan. I am. I am. I know some out here want to go fight demons. Go ahead. Knock yourselves out. A demon is a fallen angel. Do you understand that? Okay. One angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. You want to go fight him? Have at it. Okay. I ain't going. I want no part of it. You already believe in this. You've already committed to this. You've already been saved by this. You already had the confidence in the faith. You are real. Listen, Corinth was an awful city. Listen, Corinth makes Vegas look like the new Jerusalem. Okay, what I hear and read and study in Corinth, you don't want no part of. You want no part of it. And yet Paul says, we have a common ground. We have a common theme. This isn't something new I'm teaching. I've committed this. You've committed to this. You believe this. You accepted this. You received this. It's already been preached. It's not new. That being the case, why are you denying it? Because that's what he says. How do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? I want to focus now right on that last phrase. No resurrection of the dead. Okay? In the original text, there is no definite article. Okay? The literal text there would read this way. How do some among you say there is no resurrection of corpses? Okay. So, there's no resurrection of dead men's bodies. Okay, so I want you to understand that the argument here is not about spiritual. It is about physical. There is a physical resurrection. I, I, I pray that you understand that. When we are absent from the body, praise God. 
You're present with the Lord. Okay? That is spiritual. But there's coming a point when there's going to be this twinkling of an eye thing when the dead in Christ are raised in the resurrected body and the remaining ones are raised in a resurrected body and we hang out in the air. I don't understand that. I have no idea how that works. But I do know this. It is not difficult for the Lord. Okay, I mean, you know, it's the way my buddy looked at it. He says, you can get an airplane ride or a plane air ride. I'm into it. And there's days that I'd like to hurry it up. Then how is it that you believe in Jesus and you believe that Jesus rose and if dead men don't rise, you believe that now? And it's... There's a part of me that looks at it comically if it wasn't such a serious a serious problem. Here's what I, why, why I look at it humorously. Hmm. Paul is under the authority of the Holy Spirit, under the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's writing this text. Okay? He lays those first 11 verses out to show the evidence of what he preached. And, and we, we went through this. I mean, we have the testimony that you are a church. I mean, the fact that, and you and I, who gather today in the name of Christ as a gathering of the called out ones, the ecclesia, the church, is living proof to a bodily resurrection. All right, what else keeps us going? All right, there is a bodily resurrection. And he's already laid this out. The scripture says there's a bodily resurrection. The Cephas seen him. I saw him. James, the Lord's half-brother, saw him. 500 witnesses saw him. This isn't a new phenomenon. You know this. We are bearing witness to this. The fact that you believe and stand in it, and the fact that you got saved is based on the bodily resurrection. And they would all say, Amen. And yet they're buying into the philosophy that says there is no resurrection. And the Paul under the power of the Holy Spirit has just put them in a corner that they can never get out of. There's no way out. There's no way out. I like that. I truly like that. Think about it. If you had 500 witnesses in a court of law, I'm thinking that you're going to persuade the jury or the judge. What do you think? He had 500 witnesses and the 12 disciples. You know, I look at the 12 disciples, here's with 12 cowards. I mean, on their best day, they're just a bunch of chickens. And they wouldn't fight for him when he was alive. And people say, well, after he was dead, they decided to stand up. Really? Do you realize how much faith it takes to believe that? That's the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. And yet, 40 days after the crucifixion and murder of their boss, they walk right in in front of the Sanhedrin and say, you men of Israel murdered Messiah. Where did that bravery show up from? It's easy. 
I saw the resurrected Christ. Now let me ask you a question. When it comes to sharing your faith, how much confidence do you have? Because it will be based on how much you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he can raise from the dead, you know what? I'm one of his. I'm immortal. Now. I have no fears. No one can take my life one nanosecond before God says, Terry, come home. Nothing can happen to me one nanosecond before God says, well done, true and faithful servant. Now, how much confidence do you have? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He says, now then, I've got you in this corner. What are you going to do? And then in verses 13 through 19, he wants the Corinthians, he wants you and I to understand what happens to the gospel and what happens to you if you don't believe in a bodily resurrection. And we will look at that in the weeks to come. Question. The faith that you believe in Is it seen in a way that you show you believe in a physical bodily resurrection? Because he makes the statement in verse 2. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In vain. You can have an orthodox Christianity and not be saved. They tell you that, uh, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in a bodily resurrection. You know what? So do demons. And they are afraid. They tremble, James tells us. So I looked at a guy one time and smiled at him and says, believing in Jesus Christ at best can make you a demon. That does not necessarily save you. You believe in a bodily resurrection? Yes. Does your life prove it? It's one of the things I get into most trouble about. I cannot find biblically where a person who came to salvation, everybody didn't know that person got saved. Can't find it. They changed drastically and radically. Okay, and I don't care who it was. I don't find that. And yet, how many people have you and I witnessed that when they come near death or they die, the question is this. I think they were saved. I'm not sure. I remember one time at a Billy Graham crusade. And yet, when I look at Scripture, I can't find anybody who looked like they were saved. They were either saved... Or they weren't. I don't understand that. I mean, the parable of the four soils. The same seed was received with joy. All four soils. It was received with joy. Received with joy. And yet only one was saved. And you knew it was saved because it bore 
fruit. Salvation with seed. That's what Paul's arguing here. You look more like the world than you do the church. And yet I know you're a church or you wouldn't even be saved. So where's yours? Most of you who are gathered here today would say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in a bodily resurrection. I would ask this one question then. Does your life show the confidence of a bodily resurrection? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul, who so many years before preached without compromise, walked without compromise. Father, may we who are called by your name draw upon the strength that only spoke existence into being. Father, as even my brother Paul prayed, we would know Christ's love and the fullness of you would dwell in us and that we would that you would do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could think or imagine in each of us thank you lord thank you lord that uh, we draw together for you we draw together to worship in spirit and in truth we draw together in the power of your word we praise you and we thank you in christ's name amen